0: Do you recognize this saying? In advance of committing yourself to a course of action, consider your circumstances and options. Or, better known as, look before you leap." Here's another. There are certain corrective measures for minor problems that, when taken early on in a course of action, forestall major problems from arising. Recognize that? A stitch in time saves nine. How about this one? The winged creature that arises before the sun is well into the sky, statistically speaking, has less competition for sustenance. You know what that is, right? That's right. The early bird catches the worm. The great Spanish writer Miguel de Cervantes said, a proverb is a short sentence Founded upon long experience containing a truth. I've told you before about a proverb that's very meaningful to my family that was emphasized by my grandfather and my father. Do good and forget it. My sisters and I heard that all the time when we were growing up and it meant that we were to do good because it was the right thing to do. Not because of any reward or expectation or any other reason. And it's such a part of our family that it's on my grandparents' gravestone in Maine. It says on the front of that stone, Scalise, you can put it up, the words are small, so I'll read what else it says. It says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Philippians 4.11, which I just think is a hysterical thing to have on a gravestone, right? For anyone walking by, it's like, wait a minute, you can be content even now? My grandfather, always thinking. And then underneath that, it says, behind the flowers there, do good and forget it. And, you know, growing up, after hearing this for 20-plus years, my sister Carolyn got engaged to a man from Italy named Sal, and uh, one night at dinner, the family proverb came up, and Sal said, well, sure, that's an old Italian saying, but that's only half of it. He said, the saying is, do good and forget it, do bad and never forget it. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, and it means that, you know, you're, you're to do good, but if someone does something bad to you, you never forget it. And Our family had never heard that before, and we thought it was kind of interesting that my grandfather had only passed on the more Christ-like half of the proverb. Well, most of us are familiar with at least some proverbs. They're usually brief, imagistic, and memorable, like, Two of the first that I taught to our sons, Nathan and Greg, when they were young boys, and young boys have a certain mentality, so when I wanted to get them interested in reading the Bible, I started teaching them verses like Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Oh, Right? Or another favorite, Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy person in bed. Well, Proverbs, as Sharon alluded to to start us off, it's one of the most practical and easiest to understand books in the Bible. Proverbs challenges you to pursue God, to pursue wisdom in every area of your life. And according to Proverbs, the wise person seeks knowledge, wisdom, truth, insight, right, and applies them, applies them to life's situations and circumstances. The wise are known for their love for God, their self-control, their well-chosen words and deeds, their generosity, their concern for and service to others, especially to the poor. In contrast, The fool in Proverbs has no desire to learn, no desire to change, no desire for a relationship with God. Fools create problems and they make situations worse rather than better. The foolish lack ethics, they lack integrity, they lack self control, self discipline, and they're often quick to anger. So all Proverbs, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible, are based somewhat on experience. And it's far wiser to learn from the experience of other people rather than having to learn everything for yourself by personally going through it, right? And that's one of the benefits of reading a book like Proverbs, is to learn from the experience of others. And among the many topics touched upon in Proverbs is your attitude towards generosity, wealth, possessions, giving, and the poor and those in need. So listen to a few more Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Some give freely, yet grow all the richer. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want." A generous person will be enriched, and one who gives water will get water. The people curse those who hold back grain, but a blessing is on the head of those who sell it. Those who trust in their riches will wither, but the righteous will flourish like green leaves. Better to be poor and walk in integrity than to be crooked in one's ways, ways, even though rich. The heart of what I want to share with you this morning is simply this. The real measure of wealth is not how much you have, but how generously you live. The real measure of wealth is not how much you have, but how generously you live. There are people with millions and even billions of dollars... But if you put their life up against the standard described in the book of Proverbs, the verdict of the book of Proverbs would be very clear and unequivocal that some of those people are fools who are spiritually poor and morally bankrupt. And there are other people in the world who are quite poor materially, who have little or almost no money at all, and yet they live with an attitude of generosity and faith and even thankfulness that Proverbs would describe and recognize as wisdom. They are wealthy in what matters most. You know, much of the book of Proverbs is associated with King Solomon, and when we talked about Solomon back on September 19th, I know that's still fresh in your mind, I mentioned, just in case you forgot, I mentioned how wisdom is the ability to make godly choices in life. Wisdom is skill in the art of living with each aspect of our life under God's guidance and direction, and that includes time, money, and possessions. So here's a, imagine this scenario. How would you feel if you were seated in a worship service like this one, and as the offering was being received, the preacher came down and walked right next to the usher, coming to your aisle and watched as you put whatever you put in or didn't put in the offering plate. Just think about emotionally how you would feel about that. Can you find that place? Well, that's what 19th century American preacher John Broadus, who was one of the best-known preachers in America in the 19th century, he did that in his church one Sunday morning. And some of those in attendance were angered at his action, and some were confused, some were ashamed. Others were amazed, some were surprised, and he went all, and after the offering was completed, Broadus came back up to the pulpit, and he began his sermon based on the widow who put in the little that she had into the offering as Jesus and his disciples watched. And Broadus concluded his sermon by saying this, if you take to heart that I have seen your offerings this day and know just what sacrifice you have made or have not made. Remember that your Savior goes up and down these aisles with every usher every Sunday and sees every cent contributed by his people. He knows more than what we give. He sees through to the heart. He also knows exactly what remains in our wallet or purse, the amount we keep for ourselves, It's about the heart with giving. It's always about the heart, not the amount. Another preacher said there are two ways in which a Christian may view money. How much of my money shall I use for God? Or how much of God's money shall I use for myself? If you follow Jesus, you're expected to live wisely, faithfully, and generously before God in all aspects of your life. And God knows that people who live generously are more joyful and more content. I mean, did you ever see some? do you know someone in your life who is really generous and yet grumpy? They don't go together. People who are generous tend to be also joyful and more content. And God wants you to be joyful. God wants you to be content. And that results from being generous. And having money and material things in their proper place. And so you need, and as well as myself, you need to give and share money and time and spiritual gifts for your own spiritual development. Too often people think, well, we want you to give to the church because, you know, you have to get... It's for your own spiritual good. It's for your own development. Not because the church needs to receive. And that's why you shouldn't substitute one form of giving for another. Because if you do that, if you say, well, I don't give much money, but I give my time, well, it's nice, but you deny yourself the joy and the spiritual growth that comes from giving of yourself, giving of your resource in diverse ways. I mean, when you look at our church it's amazing how many volunteer hours are given by the people of this church and the varieties of volunteer services that people do. I mean, I actually prayed for Nancy Svedine and her group of ladies as they were making dips in the kitchen this week. I mean, how many people do that sort of thing, right? You know, Lord bless these dips who I'm, you know, here with, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and You know, but it's amazing the amount of volunteer service that people do. It's amazing the amount of money that people give. It's really remarkable. And, you know, I look at the combined efforts of all of us here at BBC as we seek to love and grow and share one of our big three things, right? As the people of God, we are blessed to be part of a very generous giving church. And praise God, it's amazing. And Jesus wants us to give generously as an act of discipleship, as an act of trust, as an act of obedience, as an act of love, as a wise act of gratitude which grows our soul. You know, it really is something, if you take out a $20 bill, you know, on the back of the $20 bill, it says, in God we trust. And in a sense, every time you give away a bill that says, in God we trust, you're actually taking a step that shows, I am trusting God more than I'm trusting this $20 bill. And Jesus says in Matthew 23 that we should pay attention to the weightier issues of justice, mercy, and faith without neglecting smaller matters like tithing. Now to Jesus, tithing, giving 10% of what God has blessed you with to the Lord's work. To Jesus, it was a smaller matter compared to justice, mercy, and faith. And Jesus says the tithe is an important aspect of worshiping God because it's a step toward the wealth that comes to us from living generously it's a step toward the wealth that comes to us from living generously and God helps us live wisely and more simply by keeping material things in their proper perspective that's what Paul was writing to Timothy about in first Timothy chapter six beginning at verse six where he says of course there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. Hold the slide for just a second. I'm going off script. I saw a slide this week, and it was a graph. Just stay with me. Just use your imagination. You picture a graph, and the graph showed, that the, the title of the, of the slide was, how much people think about money during their life. And at the very beginning of their life, it's at the total bottom. You're a baby. You don't even know what it is, right? And then the graph goes up very steadily, very high, and it goes flat all the way across. And then at the end, it's like moment of death. How much are you thinking about money? Guess where it was? Right back where it started, right? We brought nothing into the world so that, because, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content, there's that word again, with these But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, and always remember, it's not money, it's the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains." This past Monday, I drove up to Boston in order to do the committal service for Arlene Love, who was a wonderful member of our church for many years, and as I waited at a streetlight near the cemetery, I recalled a story about another funeral procession that was crossing a busy city intersection, and you know how funeral processions, you've been in them, they can get spread out, especially in a city when there's lights and all of that, and An armored car was actually coming out from a side street and didn't realize the traffic in front of it was actually a funeral procession, so the armored car pulled out right into the middle of the funeral procession, and an onlooker standing on the sidewalk saw this funeral procession going by with an armored car right in the middle of it, and he turned to his friend and said, what do you know, you can take it with you, you know, you know. Whether you are materially rich or poor, as a follower of Christ, it's important for you to be capable of having money and possessions without being possessed by them. And if you have money or an abundance of things, as so many of us do, especially compared to the larger world, you need not love them, trust them, or serve them. Whatever our financial situation, you're to use money and possessions in ways that reflect God's generosity to you and to encourage and help others. And we've heard that in the Proverbs we've heard throughout the service today, right? Over and over and over. Jesus says in the Gospels, money is not merely a means of exchange. Jesus says money is like a God, little g. It offers security. It can induce guilt. It gives freedom. It gives power. It entices us and seems all-powerful at times. Like a God, money is out to gain our allegiance and our devotion. And what giving does is it frees us from the tyranny of money. If you're on our church mailing list, hopefully you received a letter this week about giving to the church in 2022. And I actually was very shocked and surprised that I got a text message from somebody thanking me for the letter. They thought the letter about tithing was excellent, and I jokingly texted back to her, I think I better save this text. It's the first time I ever got a text thanking me for a letter about tithing, you know, and uh, it was pretty funny because sometimes people don't respond as enthusiastically to, you know, appeals for giving. I'm just saying there was, for example, a small church that was also in their financial stewardship time, and Right at that time, a man in the church was going had to go in for surgery, and the pastor promised him that she'd be in the recovery room when he came out of anesthesia, she'd be there to pray with him and everything else, and she was, and the man awakened through the foggy shroud of the medication, and he looked wildly about him and said, where am I? And he saw a person, he said, who are you? And the pastor took his hand and said, everything, it's okay, it's, you know, it's, it's fine, it's, it's me, I'm your pastor. And he said, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put me down for the same thing as last year. (laughs) We can respond in different ways, you know. In the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8, it starts by telling us that there are women like Susanna who gave generously to support the ministry and the work of Jesus and the apostles. In the New Testament book of Acts, we learn about Barnabas and others who sell property and land and things they have and give the proceeds to the apostles for the work of Christ. And it's amazing that we have people like you still doing those things today. You know, there are countless other people, if you look through the centuries of the development of the church, who gave generously, regardless of how much or how little they had, Gave generously so the message of God's love in Christ could transform lives. Great preacher J.H. Joett said, the real measure of our wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all our money. Think about that. The real measure of our wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all our money. Another way of saying that is the real measure of wealth is not how much you have but how generously you live. And remember, when your life is over, all that you can take with you is that which you've already given away. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, and we thank you for the instruction to live generously, wisely, with every aspect of our life under your guidance and direction I thank you for the generosity of the people of BBC and how freely and willingly and joyfully they give so that we can be used by you to share your love in Christ with so many people. Be with us as we continue to worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.